Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. How are we doing? Good? Start 2024 so far? Okay. Um, a few days ago, I was with my son, and I laid down with him in bed. And one of the things, like if you have multiple kids, uh, maybe like you've discovered this, but all your kids will talk at different times and you gotta figure out when that time is and leverage it. And so it's a science and an art and because um, you want your kids to talk to you. So it's like figuring out when the optimal time is. So for one of my kids, one of my sons specifically, when I get in bed with him for a little bit, like that's the optimal time, like where he'll talk to me, he'll tell me stuff. So I was in his bed and he's talking about all kinds of stuff from Star Wars to all the other things he's into right now and Legos, which we just, we can't talk enough about Legos. And so he's telling me all about it. And then he turns to me with like this ominous look and like this grin. And I can just tell there's something there. He's like, daddy. And it's like serious. Daddy, I need to tell you something that I've never told anybody. I'm like, all right. I know, yeah, that's exactly the reaction. But the thing as a parent is like, don't react, don't be shocked. Just like, I mean, that's the big first rule of let them tell you whatever you want and don't freak out. And so uh, one of us is better at that as parents and I won't tell you which one. So he, he tells me, he's like, I, I, daddy, I've never told anybody this, but I gotta tell you something. I'm like, okay, man, go ahead. He's like, remember that show that you told me not to watch? And he went on to tell me, and it wasn't that big a deal, but it, you know, you always have those things where like, at this age, that's inappropriate, don't watch it. He's like, you know, you told me not to watch it. Yeah, no, I remember that. Every, every time you were in your office at home, I would sneak into the room and I would watch that show. And then he just like smiles at me real big, like that's gonna soften the blow. <laughs> like, buddy, thank you. And he's like, and, and then he, the kicker was like, I, I, just, I just had to tell you, I had to tell you. I was like, buddy, that is so incredible. You're grounded for a month, but that is so incredible that you told me that. Like, it's a big win. Actually, I didn't do that because one, we only have two rules in my house. Respect your mama and don't tell a lie because they're catalytic behaviors. If you just get those two things right, a lot of other stuff tends to fall in line. And we teach constantly like relationships build on trust. So if we can't trust you, there's no relationship or it's strained relationships. So I don't care what you do, just tell the truth, just tell me. So it was actually a big win. I'm like, all right, you get a pass, but don't ever do it again. Um, but thank you for telling me the truth. And my whole point in telling that story is, at that age, no big deal, seven to nine, um, you know, you can live with that. It was actually a huge win in terms of parenting. But as you get older, the whole like, um, I said I'm doing one thing, but actually did another thing, the stakes get a lot higher. Like the stakes get a lot bigger. I mean, at nine, you can deal with it. At 29 and 49, it can have massive implications for like your entire life. And so that's what I wanna talk about for the next couple of weeks. And specifically, all of us have had the situation where we have watched somebody flame out or go off the rails in some kind of extreme way. And we look at it and we either think or maybe we verbalize, verbalize I don't know, but they do something that's so extreme where we're like, I, I could not live with myself if I did that. If I made that decision, if I went there, if, I, if you know, somebody living a double life, 
lying um, you know, to the people who love them and support them the most, um, you know, having this whole thing where they're masquerading and they're not really who they say they are. And we look at it and go, there's no way that I could live with myself. When eventually it goes off the rails and it hurts maybe an entire family or they lose a career or they end up with a decision where it's gonna take a while to unwind from that decision. And you just look at it and a lot of us have the same response. We look at it from the outside because as I've told you, if you've been around here probably 200 times, we always have crystal clear insight into the stupidity of other people, right? And so you look at it and go, I, there's no way I can live with myself. And basically what we're saying is my conscience and my integrity just wouldn't allow me to go there. But here's the reality. That's why I wanna talk about this. You could live with yourself. You actually could. You maybe couldn't live with your current self, but here's what all of us have to understand is that your current self may be miles away from your future self. In fact, if left unattended, like your future self might be somebody that you wouldn't even recognize. And so, yeah, your current self, you look at maybe some things that are happening around you, go, I would never do that. But your current self may not be your future self. And in fact, that's kind of the maybe biggest dynamic between ending up there and not ending up there because people all of the time think it couldn't happen to them. I'd never end up there. I'd never make that decision. And then they do. And one of the big reasons they do is because they didn't think it could happen to them. They didn't think that they could get to this place where the self that they're living with is completely different than the self that other people see. And so one of the biggest things in the series is just to recognize it's possible. Like you could end up with a future self that you don't even recognize. You could end up in a place that you never thought was possible and actually recognizing that and then taking steps to avoid it is one of the biggest ways that you keep yourself from ending up in a situation and being a person that you never wanted to become. And that's what this entire series is about. Four habits that move you from not having the dichotomy between the self that you're living with and the self that other people see. Because for all of us, like, it's possible. And the big thing is that, like, all of us would, I think, agree in, in terms of life. Like, I, I don't care how good your life is. At some point along the way, life is just hard on your inner self. Like, life is just hard on your soul. And what I mean by soul is, like, that place of emotions, mind, will, dreams, desire, like, that inner part of you. Life can just beat down your inner self and beat down your soul. And a healthy soul, if left unattended, ends up unhealthy. I mean, just think of any area of your life. Anything that's left unattended does not drift in a good direction. Like, I mean, just, nobody's gonna get to the end of this year with zero plan and you're like 15 pounds overweight and you get to like next December, you're like, I've got the six pack and I don't even know how it happened, right? Like it, it, it's not going to happen in any area of your life, whether it's your appearance, um, your reputation, your priorities, nothing ever drifts in a good direction. And if left unattended, you end up in places that, no, you didn't set out for that. You didn't dream of that. Nobody got up one day to go, this is my goal. But you just, you just ended up there. You just kind of drifted there. I mean, in any area, we tend to, just because this is our culture, we tend to like pay so much attention to external because that's just easy. Everybody's watching. This is what we're posting about. And so whether it's family, whether it's our appearance, whether it's what we drive, whether it's how our kids look, even if it's a lie, but we just wanna make everybody think our kids are great. It's just so easy to fall into that trap. I mean, even just in terms of appearance, our culture last year, and this is not a bad thing, but we spent like $15 billion, like lifting stuff and tucking stuff and Botoxing stuff, and that's fine. But if that's all you ever do, 
If that's all we ever do, that's all about appearance and what school our kids get into and how great they were at soccer and that we've missed it. But it's so easy to do that. And in our culture, for a lot of us, we're kind of competing for approval. And so we, we kind of gravitate toward all those things that people easily see or approve of us for. And we, pay, and we don't pay attention to the things that actually matter most in our life. And that is the health, ultimately, of our soul. And the reality is that the only person in your life, the only person in my life who has the responsibility and the ability to pay attention to that inner self that nobody else knows about is you. The only person that has a responsibility and ability to pay attention to the part of me that nobody else knows about is me. And here's why it's a big deal. Just go with me for a second. Here's why I wanna talk about this for a few weeks because the health of your soul will determine your capacity for duplicity. The health of your soul will determine your capacity for duplicity. And you know what duplicity is, right? It's you're one way on the outside in terms of what everybody sees, and then you're another way on the inside. And the health of your soul and how you pay attention to your inner world will determine how comfortable you are with duplicity in your life. It's your ability to live with yourself when you're no longer the self that you used to be, the self that you wanna be, the self that other people see, and it's the part of you that kind of determines how much you're willing to allow the gap to grow between who you are and who you pretend to be before you eventually just crack, before you eventually melt down, before you eventually confess, before you eventually get to the place where your conscience won't allow you to go on any longer and you start to unravel. And all of us have seen people and had a front row seat to other people who've ended up there. But here's the reality. A healthy soul has very little tolerance for duplicity. That's why it's a big deal. That's why you have to pay attention to it. It will determine how comfortable you get moving to a place in your life where there's compartmentalization, where you got this over here, but then there's just this part and you'd rather just fake it till you make it. How comfortable you get with lying, how comfortable you get with pretending, how comfortable you get with posturing, with hypocrisy. And it just ultimately determines how comfortable you are with either closing the gap between who you are and who you pretend to be or wanna be and whether you manage the gap or not. And here's what I'm saying. Some of you have already experienced this. You could preach this for me. Is that when you try to manage the gap in your life and try to kind of live this duplicitous, like I'm one way here and another way here, eventually it breaks down and the truth breaks out and you can't lie to yourself. Eventually all of us are gonna end up at a place where we can't continue on any longer. And the reality is this, man, and this is kind of a little bit in your face, but it's just true and it has to be said. You have the potential, and this is so important that we recognize this. You have the potential and I have the potential of ultimately becoming somebody that you would despise if you met them. You're not beyond that. You're not better than that. You're not smarter than that. You think you're more spiritual than that, but you're not. And if you go long enough without attending to the health of your soul, yeah, the current version of you, your current self looks at things and goes, no, that would never happen. I would never do that. I could never end up there. But your current self may be miles away from your future self. And you could actually, and this is the first part is to admit this, you could become somebody in the future that you would despise if you met them. You could become the unimaginable. You could do the un unthinkable. You, you could do it and you could live with yourself. And the reason I know is because people do it all the time. And the difference generally in avoiding this and not becoming this and not ultimately ending up here is paying attention and stewarding the health of your soul in the area that nobody else knows about. 
And so for the next four weeks, I wanna talk about four habits that ensure that the self that you're living with eventually, even if it's not that way now, the self that you're living with is the self that other people see for the health of your marriage, your kids, your future, your career, ultimately, if you're a Jesus follower, for what God has for your life. And so a guy by the name of Paul in first century Rome writes to Roman Christians and he talks about all of this and he basically introduces this point that on the surface just seems unreasonable. It's like, it's, it's a little over the top. It's, I don't know when you really grasp it. But as he goes on to explain, it's the most reasonable thing that you can do with your life if you're a follower of Jesus and you understand what Jesus has done. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I say this all the time. If you're listening via unfiltered radio all over the state, glad you're with us, podcasting, watching in the house, you don't have to do any of this. But what I'm about to talk about, this is what Jesus is inviting you into. And so Paul talks about it. Some of you have heard these verses, but oftentimes we miss the shift in thinking and we miss the point that's the catalyst for everything that Paul's saying. And this is really how he addresses this whole matter that I just talked about. Here's what he says in Romans chapter 12, verse one. Therefore, I what? Urge you. Urgency, like Paul's going, okay, I... I know that there's things in your life that don't make sense. I know there's things where you're having trouble connecting the dots. I know there's stuff that just, it's hard to grasp. But what I'm about to tell you, I'm telling you for the health of your future, your peace, your happiness, where God wants to lead you. I could not talk about this with more urgency. And some of it's gonna seem a little bit unreasonable, but I'm telling you, but when I get to the finish, Paul would say, it's the most reasonable thing you could do with your life. I urge you, brothers and sisters or Jesus followers, in view, this is so important, in view of God's what? That's a big deal. Some of you have been taught the New Testament and they edited out verses and they didn't preach things in context and you got a view of God that does not show up in the New Testament. Paul just spent 11 chapters laying the foundation and then referencing it here that Paul's about to urge us to do something in view of God's mercy, not in view of God's authority. And God has authority. I mean, if you believe in God and you believe that Jesus was God and he died on a cross and rose again, I mean, dude has authority. He raises the dead by talking to them. He commands nature and it obeys. He gives sight to the blind with a word or a touch. Like he's got authority. But this is not in view of God's authority. This is in view of God's mercy. I don't know how we miss this in the church, but New Testament is so clear that it's actually God's kindness that leads us to change. It's actually God's kindness that leads us to repentance that God has already done something. And so for the first 11 chapters, Paul's laying out the fact that God is unbelievably merciful. God is unbelievably gracious. He didn't come to earth with good advice. Good advice is here's some stuff you should do to make your life better. And if you do, things will work out better. God came with good news, meaning God's already done something. If you already receive what he's already done, you become a son and daughter of God. You become a purpose intended, lavishly loved, image bearer of God with a destiny and a will and God is for you and God is with you and God wants to do something in your life. And all of it is a free gift because of what he's done. And so in light of that mercy and in light of that grace, not God's authority, not God's wrath, not God's strong arm of you better do this quid pro quo, or it's going to end badly, but in light of God's mercy and grace, I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer, present, submit, kind of place at God's disposal your bodies, which sounds really weird, but what he's saying is just this, yourself inside and out. All of you, everything about you, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. 
And in first century religious context, they got this because everything was built on a sacrificial system and you had to take animals and they slaughtered them and that was covering for sin. And they're like, well, that doesn't end well generally for sacrifices. Paul's like, no, no, I want you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to which some of you grew up in the church so you know the church answer, but we lie a lot of times. If we were really to be honest, we were like, no, 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 I love God and maybe I love Jesus, but offer my entire self to God. Because I mean, can we just, that's not just like showing up and sitting in a row. That's like everything. That's offering your dreams, your desires, your will. Even if it doesn't work out, I'm gonna trust God anyway. Your sexuality, your money, your priorities for the future, how you raise your kid, like that's everything. You're like, offer my entire self to God. I mean, surrender everything to God. Like, give God a blank check and like, hey, whatever you wanna do with my life. I just realized that example doesn't make sense anymore. So for some of you guys, a check is like a thing that old people use that you may have no idea what it is. But like cash or cash app or Venmo doesn't work in this example. But my point is, just going like, God, whatever you want. And our response, if we were really honest, which we don't like to do in church is, okay, can I just like call on God when I need God? Like for, because this is just real. The majority of us is like, here's the areas that are like, I'm good with God. And then here's the areas, I love Jesus, heaven when I die, thank you for your forgiveness. But I'm just gonna kind of hang on to this. Can I just call on God when I need God? And here's what I would say to that just practically. When you live your Christian life like that, if you're a follower of Jesus, you end up needing God more because you end up perpetuating some of the same bad decisions over and over and over again. And here's how I know this. Because for some of you, a lot of you, your greatest regret happened during an I'll call on God when I need him season. And you kind of did your thing and peaced out and God, I'll be back in a minute, but this area is kind of off limits. And then when things didn't work out, you came back to God, God, I need you. God, get involved. God, can you fix this? And then God didn't do what you thought God should do because you thought and I thought we could pray our way out of dysfunction that we behaved our way into. And we thought, well, God's after me. God's trying to bring down the hammer. God, and God's like, no, 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 I'm not. I just set up the world with cause and effect, with sow and reap, with wisdom, where there's consequences for decisions. And I'm inviting you into a better way, but you're not following me. So when you look at me to go, God, what's up with you? God's looking at us going, what's up with you? I've got a better way. I've got a better plan for your life. And so Paul assures us into this verse that surrendering is not unreasonable. It's the most reasonable thing we can do with our life in light of what God has done. He says, I urge you, view of God's mercies, offer your body as a living sacrifice, which is literal Greek. I didn't put the Greek word because who cares, but your literal Greek translation, which is the reasonable, logical act of service. Like the most logical, reasonable thing that you could do with your life if you're a follower of Jesus is to submit, to, to offer your life, your body, every part of your inner world to God. And the answer, the question would be, okay, well, why should I do that? Because God loves you. And I don't know what kind of religious background you grew up with, but I'm talking about the Jesus movement. Jesus loves you. Jesus is for you because he died for you. You were created in his image and his will and destiny and plan for your life is good. I mean, come on, just practically for some of you, not, not for some, for all of you. If you're in your 20s, this is your first time in your 20s ever. Like for some of you, you're having a first kid. It's your first kid ever. 
For some of you, it's the first time you've bumped into relational tension and you don't know what to do. And it's the first time you've ever walked through it. It's the first time you're 55 and you're faced with a massive decision that may change the trajectory of the next 20 years of your life. And you've never faced any of these things before. In fact, all this room, online, radio, every single day, there's full, we're full of firsts in terms of our life. We've never faced that. We've never been up against that before. We've never experienced that. And God's going, I have. And I've got a plan and a will and a destiny for your life. So why wouldn't you surrender all of your life to a heavenly father who loves you, who's for you, who created you in his image that knows what is best for your future and invites you into directing your life in the best way possible. But he will not force his way or will on you because love doesn't operate that way. But you look at the New Testament, you look at people who end up at the end of their lives, regardless of what success looks like on the outside that are content and happy and at peace, they follow Jesus' one another ethic. And when you follow Jesus' one another ethic all throughout the New Testament, your life ends up better and the lives of people around you end up better. And following Jesus' way of living just, it's just better. And one of the greatest lives around, lies around Christianity and Jesus is that somehow Jesus is trying to withhold love, joy, peace, contentment, pleasure. And the reality is God has created you for it within the context of following him. And so Paul says, therefore, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, which is the most reasonable and logical act of service. That's the paradigm of following Jesus. Not following to get something. Following because you already have something. And that the most logical, reasonable thing that you could do is to offer your life, submit your life to him. And then Paul teases it out in a negative way in Romans 6 when he says this. This is the negative side of this whole thing, Romans 6, 13. Do not offer any part of yourself to what? To sin as an instrument of unrighteousness. Meaning, and Paul talks about it, apparently every single day, we have a decision and we make this decision without consciously even knowing about it, where we can offer ourselves to something or someone, either to sin, and if you, you know, you're not sure about the God thing or sin, here's how I always describe it. That thing in you where you've not lived up to your own standards for your life, and I think that's every single human being, so you can call it whatever, I'd call it sin, but every single day we are offering ourselves to something or someone, either to sin, to dysfunction, to habits, to decisions that aren't gonna end well, or we are gonna offer ourselves to God. And the best way that the scripture defines sin is basically basically this. Sin is selfishness. Sin is my way and my appetites at your expense. Appetites are the appetite for recognition, for desires, for pleasure, for sex, for acquiring, for more, for safety. It's not even wrong. It's just a good desire by God that's been distorted. And all of a sudden it's my way and my appetites at the expense of somebody else's. So Paul says this, but rather, rather than offering yourself to sin and the my way and my appetites at somebody else's expense, offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. That you would surrender, this is so scary for some of us, everything in you to God's agenda for your life. And here's what Paul says next. And this is one of my favorite verses in all of scripture that does not get enough airplay. This is the good news. This is what God does when you decide to live like that. He says in Romans 6, 14, when you do, sin will no longer be what? A little bit more, just so I know you're still with me. Sin will no longer be your what? 
When you say yes to sin, you've heard me talk about this before, sin ultimately will become your master. And we don't think so, and we're all autonomous, and we're independent, and I, you know, I, I'm, I'm the ruler of my life and my destiny, but let me make it more practical, less theological. Sin ultimately, as I said, equates with selfishness. And you know the direction that sin, which leads to selfishness, will lead you every single time? Do you know the direction that selfishness ultimately will order you? Selfishness will always order you and lead you in the direction of self-centeredness to where eventually your decisions to say yes to you will lead you in the direction where it orders you to say yes over and over and over again until you can't say no to you any longer. And then when sin leads you from selfishness to self-centeredness, it will then deceive you as a master in believing that that's liberation. That I'm autonomous, I'm independent, it's my truth, my way, what's good for me, and ultimately that's gonna lead to freedom and that's gonna lead to liberation and that's the way forward and sin will seduce and bait you into selfishness, self-centeredness, and that's the way to a liberated life. But here's what I wanna tell you. Self-centeredness, the only thing it ever does is liberates you from you. Meaning, ultimately, you'll become two different people. Ultimately, you will be divided from yourself eventually you will be one way on the outside and you'll be another way on the inside. And the self that you are living with will not be the self that other people see and you will be forced to live with that. And do you know what people who've been there, done that, walked through those seasons, found a way to get to the other side of it, do you know what they would say to you? And they're all over this room and online to be ready. You know what they would say? I don't know the exact words, but it would be a modern day version, 2023 of Paul's words. They would say to you, if you're in that place right now, because they've been there, they tried it, and they escaped the other side of it, they would go, I urge you. In view of God's not authority, not wrath, not God's gonna get you, not God's trying to withhold something from you, but in view of God's mercy. When you offer yourselves to sin or your way, or I'm gonna figure it out, eventually you will make sin a master and it will lead you to selfishness and it will lead you to self-centeredness and it will lead you to a deception around liberation where you will be not liberated, not in a place of freedom. You will be more shackled and enslaved than ever before. And Jesus is trying to lead you into something better. I urge you in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God, that is the most logical, reasonable thing that you can do. And then many of you have heard this verse before, verse two, and do not do what? Conform to the pattern in this world. Not that there's some like board that's running the world and like, well, we need to fight again. This is just the systems of the world from the Garden of Eden where sin entered and there is a cultural majority thinking that will lead you in a, in a direction where sin becomes your master, where ultimately you get split in half, where you increase your capacity for duplicity and that you end up putting you at the center of your life. Can I just tell you, and some of you know this, when you put you at the center of your life, you become small. Self-centered people become small people. And Paul's like, don't do it. I'm urging you, don't go there. Don't conform to the pattern and the thinking of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then 
opposed to what most people experience, the rest of culture, basically he's about to say, you'll be able to look into the future and before you get to that regret, before you wish you could rewind a decade, before you get to the place to go, how could I have convinced myself of that? How could I have done that? How could I have lived with that for so long where the me that other people saw was not the me that actually existed? How could I live with myself during that season? He's like, you will avoid all of that because you'll be able to look to the future with clarity as you offer and as you surrender and you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, what God's destiny is, what God's best is for your life before you ever get there. And here's the thing for some of us. I get it, man. If you grew up in the church, I just wanna say what you feel that you don't say out loud. Some of you love God, you love Jesus, you're all in. God, I think you got a plan for my life. But it is so hard when you start to talk about, I mean, everything, like surrender everything. And the idea of surrendering all of your life, your dreams, your ambitions, I mean, all of it, it scares you. And I just wanna say in love, if the idea of God's will and plan and destiny for your life, submitting to that scares you, it's probably because you've never really surrendered your life to it. Like if the idea of God's will and destiny for you being more scary than the end result of your own sin and dysfunction and decisions and habits, then it's possible, it's possible that you've been deceived. Like it's possible that you have reduced God and Jesus down to kind of a sin forgiver. I'll do it. This, this kind of, this is off limits. But then when I circle back around, God, I need your help. God, come through. You've reduced God to a sin forgiver backup plan. And God's going, I have so much more for your life. And in fact, the people who have submitted and surrendered their lives to following Jesus, they would tell you at the end of the day, they would affirm Paul's words, that when you surrender all of that to him, his will, his destiny, his plan is good. It's pleasing. It's perfect. It's not always understandable. We don't always connect the dots. It's not always easy initially, but ultimately it's what God wants for our lives. And one of the greatest lies of Christianity and Jesus is that Jesus is trying to withhold something from you rather than give something to you. But the gospel is good news that Jesus came to die for you, which means he is for you. And following him is the pathway to the ultimate source of pleasure and fulfillment and peace and contentment in this life. It is only found in following him. And when you do as hard as it is on the front end. Paul, the writer of two thirds of the New Testament would say it's good. His will, his destiny is good, pleasing, perfect. It is what's best for your life. And so as I get ready to end part one. The first of the four habits, which I just said a thousand different ways over the last 30 minutes, is getting to the place to surrender your will fully and completely inside and out to everything that God has for you. Now, here's what I wanna say. That is something that requires a daily decision. In fact, here's what Jesus said in Luke recorded in Luke 9, 23. Whoever wants to be my follower must deny themselves and take up their cross. How often? Just to make fun of Christian culture for a second and forgive me, um, or if you're new, it was nice having you for the one week that you were here, but I just... I, and, and, and so I'm gonna say this and I should preface it because I get really sarcastic. Um, 
this is not that it's not meaningful for you, but I just want to draw a distinction. The whole idea of like you went to camp one time and somebody played a really bad Christian song on acoustic guitar and they sung around a fire and then you threw um, your stick in and you made a huge moment. And I, I'm, I'm making fun of it, but for some of you, I get that. That's a massively huge moment for you. But just can most of us be honest if you ever had that moment? Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about because you didn't grow up in the church. But this is a thing that we do. And then, you know, there's tears. Everybody throws a stick in the fire. You make a commitment, surrender to God. And then three days later, you can't even remember what you did, right? There, there was a whole CD burning and everything. And some of you don't know what CDs are either, but like that was a thing back in the day. It's I surrender everything to God. I'm not gonna whatever, I'm gonna stop. You know, whatever. And five days later, you can't even remember what it was. Or we do these things where there's a, it used to be called an altar call and everybody comes down and there's tissues and it's Jesus, I surrender. And there's a song, I surrender. I grew up in a high school, it's Christian high school. They did an invitation. And when nobody came, the, the pastors would get mad and so they would just start berating you like sing another line. And then everybody would come up, including me. And they were like, look at how God's moving. And we'd be like, God's not moving. I want to go to lunch. And you just keep singing the same song over and over again. So my point in all of that, and I'm sorry if I offended you. My point in all of that is the scripture teaches daily surrender. And I love, and there's big moments and there's catalytic moments and there's emotion. And yes, in that moment, I'm surrendering everything to God. And I, I, I made light of that, but I don't want to make light of it. It's a big deal. But if that's all you ever do, it means nothing. In fact, I get criticism for it, but that's, that's why we don't do a lot of formal invitations because I know how meaningless it can be if we're not taught that following Jesus is what Jesus said. It is daily surrendering your life to him. And here's why it's important, because your life will begin to be divided and a gap will grow quicker than you can even imagine. And if you're relying on a camp experience or an invitation seven years ago, or the fact that you had that amazing devotional time in a women's Bible study in 2018, it is not enough because it takes a matter of days and weeks for the gap be to begin to grow between the self that you are and the self that other people see. And it's why Jesus invited us. You need to take up your cross and surrender your life daily. And he ends this way. Because what good is it for somebody to gain the whole world? Career trajectory, everybody's patting you on the back. How amazing are you? Your kids look awesome, at least on Instagram. You just upgraded square footage. I mean, you got a postgraduate degree. You're working on a PhD. You've had so many opportunities. You have recognition, you're the perfect whatever, people love you, oh gosh, you're so spiritual. What good is it to gain the entire world as other people see it? And you lose, and you forfeit your very self. To put it in the original language, you forfeit your very soul. And it's possible. And until you recognize that it's possible, you're susceptible. That every single day, because I can't get through a day without being reminded that in this day, the gap could begin to grow. So I just wanna acknowledge, and I've done this for about 20 years, probably since college. I mean, literally some version of what I'm about to, to, to lead you in. God, I surrender, I submit all of my life to you because I am painfully aware that I'm not immune and that the gap between who people see and who I am can grow quickly. 
And the quicker you allow it to grow, the more pressure that you will feel to manage that gap rather than close that gap. And so every single day, it is daily surrender and following Jesus. And I can't stress that enough. So for a better part of two decades, I have prayed some version of this. It's not always exactly like this and you don't have to pray this, but I wanna give you an example of, of adding this to your, your routine, your life of every single day to go. I don't want the, today could be the day the gap starts to grow. I don't want the gap to grow. I wanna fully be who God's called me to be and I wanna live the life he's called me to live. And so this is my version, Heavenly Father, I surrender myself to you. My body, my thoughts that nobody's gonna know about my desires, my hopes, my dreams, my talent, my opportunities. I surrender all of it. Thy will be done through me today. So real quick, and this is always I always make fun of this when we lead anybody in kind of a public, it, it sounds cultish and um, we do this big chant together, but I think this is super important. I, I just want you to say this after me. And so I'm gonna, I'm gonna go and then you say it. And for some of you, this is exactly what you need. This is exactly what you need to add to your daily, okay? I, I can't afford to go through a day without reminding myself and submitting myself to God. So after me, Heavenly Father, I surrender myself to you. my body, my thoughts, and my desires. My hopes and dreams, my talent and opportunities. I surrender all. Thy will be done through me today. And here's why this first habit is so, so important. Because here's what daily surrender will do. Daily surrender eventually will move your conscience. It will move the spirit of God and your sensitivity to the spirit of God and what he wants to do in your life. And as that begins to happen, you will become more sensitive and you will become less tolerant of duplicity. That you will become a self that would look at the future and those decisions and possible going off the rails and you would go, I couldn't live with myself because every single day I'm surrendering myself fully inside and out to the will and the desires and the plan, and the destiny of my heavenly father. Now, last thing, because I know how a message like this lands and I have done this long enough to know how it hits a whole bunch of people. So I just wanna say this because for some of you, I get to the end of this and you're like six months too late, six years too late about a decade past when I needed to hear this. And now I have so wound myself up in stuff, maybe deceit, duplicity, a charade. And my current self is so far away from the self that I wanted to be. And you're too late. So here's what I wanna to say to you. Here's my encouragement. If you would go, so what do I do? What, what do I do? Everything we're talking about in this series, including today, if you will embrace, I mean, sincerely embrace these habits, they will ultimately lead you from where you are to where you wanna be, and more importantly, to where God wants you to be. But I would not be loving you if I didn't tell you this, because here's the heads up, here's the, I just, because I love you, you need to know. 
when you sincerely say yes to your heavenly father, eventually he will lead you out of hiding. And eventually he will cause you and prompt you to be forthright and upfront about the person that you have become to the people that you have hurt and deceived the most. That eventually you will be led out of hiding. And the question is, well, why would God, is God trying to get me back? Does God, you know, is God trying to punish me? No, this is the reason that God is gonna prompt you and lead you in that direction. And in some cases, it'll be messy. In some cases, it'll be expensive. In some cases, it'll be hard to explain. But God will lead you to be honest about the self that you have become. And the reason that God will do that and the reason that God will lead you in that that direction is not because God's trying to get anybody back. It's because God loves you. And you are an image bearer of the creator of the universe, meaning you have been created with the capacity to love and to give love and to receive love in the image of your father in heaven. And as long as you are living your life in damage control, you will never be able to give and receive love the way that God has intended because nobody really knows you. And so your father in heaven says, I wanna lead you in a different direction. And you're like, well, is it gonna be worth it? It's gonna be messy, it's gonna be hard. I may have to confess some stuff. Initially, it's not gonna feel like it. Eventually it will, and here's why. Because sin is a terrible master. And sin will never give anything in terms of your life, relationships, and dreams for the future that are gonna benefit you. The only thing that it will do is take what is most important to you. And when some of you, when you finally come to the place to surrender, what you will find is maybe for the first time in your life, peace. For some of you, the thing that you will discover is that finally you are a self that you are happy to live with. And your heavenly father says, I love you. And I have a plan and a destiny and a will and a hope and a future for you. Follow me. Would you guys pray with me all over the house? If you're online, if you're listening via radio, I just wanna invite you into this moment. Jesus, I know that this lands in a thousand different directions. So I'm gonna ask you to do what only you can do by the power of your spirit and that you would take this among hundreds and hundreds of people and thousands online who've heard it today and you would contextualize it and make it personal in a way that's almost unimaginable. And that rather than the fear dominating us of what your will and surrendering our lives to you, what what that might mean, I pray that we would be overwhelmed, maybe even in the midst of of a life right now where what people see and who we are are two different people, that we would be overwhelmed by your grace and your mercy. And that the invitation of Jesus is the invitation that we would feel in this moment, that it is your kindness. It's your love that wants to lead us into change and it wants to lead us into the life that ultimately you have ordained for us. So God, I pray that you would give us the wisdom today and over the course of these weeks to know exactly what to do and then give us the courage to do it even when it's hard. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.